ministry together. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're in the Gospel of Luke again. Uh, this is a, a thing that we do here at the Rock Church. We go through books of the Bible. And uh, could someone, can I ask someone to just click, click on play on the, the, the computer back there so it comes back on again? Um, we're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 40 to 56. Long passage today, amazing story. I'm going to do what we do normally, which is read the passage, and, uh, and then we're going to pray again, and then we're going to unpack this really amazing pa- pa- passage. Let me see if I can get this to work. I don't know what's going on. There it is. I did. Stop. Okay. Read with me. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. These are the words recorded by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about certain stories that happened in the life of Jesus. This one on this day is remarkable. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you. We praise you. Uh, Father, what a remarkable story. What a remarkable true story. Lord, I just pray today that you would guide us and teach us from this Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to every heart in this room today through me, through the words that you've given to me, but that you personally would speak to people and they would hear you. They would hear the truth of what happened here today on that day. And I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So I know many of you, you, you've got little kids, right? Or you're around little kids. And we're, we're in that season, right? So I, I know many of you have experienced sickness, right? 
We, we've, we've had the common cold, we've had the flu, we, we've had all those kind of things. Some of us have had the measles, the mumps, and whatever else. We've had all those things, right? But, but sometimes we end up with sicknesses that seem to drag on. You ever notice that? Sometimes it's flu-like symptoms. Sometimes it's worse than that, right? Sometimes it's uh, back issues and things that just seem to drag on and drag on. And it gets to the point, and I know this has happened in my life. I'm a little older than some of you in this room. Uh, and, and I know that it's happened where I've had something going on, whether it's my back, my legs, my knees, hockey injuries, you know, a sickness of some kind. And it seems to just drag on and drag on. And it gets to the point where I, I'm kind of asking myself this question. Am I going to have to live with this the rest of my life? Anybody? Anybody ever gotten there to that point? I think most of us have. Most of us have gotten to that point. And we feel like it's just a nagging physical problem and it may not go away. And, and so here's the thing. I, I, think, I think 100% of you in this room have actually experienced that. Now, some of you are younger and really fit, right? You know, squamites, you know, mountain biking, rock climbing, all this. Go, hey, not me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 100%, man. Like, you know... I, actually, I'm 40, 45, I'm still 100%. What are you talking about? Actually, 100% of us have experienced that, right? Because here's the deal. You know, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's the truth. From the day you took your first breath, you've been dying. That's a sickness. That's a serious sickness, Right? And especially when we're younger, though, we're kind of like, yeah, okay, that, that, that's, that's in the future. <laughs> I'm really not going to worry about that. You know, until you lose a friend to an accident in their 20s and you go to their celebration of life or whatever it might be and you're like, oh, okay, just a second now. So it's a reality, right? We're, we're, we're all sick because we're decaying, we're, we're dying. That's just a reality which is true. So at the same time, all of us seem to have this, whether you're a believer in Christ, in God or not, most of us have this perception or at least this thought of when, when you, you might so, yes, okay, preacher, you're right, I'm with you. We're losing, here we go. Um, the reality is, is all of us seem to have this inner thing inside of us in our DNA and our hearts, and, and that is this. It shouldn't be that way, Right? I mean, we all see, it should be sunny all the time, right? I mean, come on, because that's, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, and, and we should be healthy all the time. It's in our DNA. Actually, there's a more accurate term for that. It's called the Imago Dei, which is the Im of, an image of God resident in you and in me, and that is why we all sense that it shouldn't be this way. It, we're broken. There's something wrong. better, right? So that's the problem. That's, that's facing us. It wasn't meant to be that way, but it is our reality. And so just like the problem of the power of nature, which we saw Jesus deal with a few weeks ago in the boat with the guys, right? Just like that, we realize we have no power over nature. Florida and Papua New Guinea, New Guinea just reminded us of that again, right? Remember a few weeks ago, I'm preaching on this passage, and we're talking about Ottawa and tornadoes, and it, so we have no power over nature, do we? Virtually no power over the forecasting, let alone power over nature, but Jesus does. We learned that Jesus, the creator and sustainer of everything, has power over nature. Then last week, we delved into one of the greatest challenges that we all face in this world, the problem of evil. We all deal with that. Christian, none. 
why is there evil and suffering in this world? And we all deal with it. And we saw again that the power of Jesus can deal with that. And, and that's why he came, which was to break the power of evil and suffering in this world. And he has, and he is, and he will ultimately one day perfectly. Amen? Okay. I saw some nods and I heard a few amens, but that's good. So remember again what Dr. Luke is doing here. Chapter 8, as I've been reflecting on this, which we finished today, what an amazing chapter. This is an incredible chapter of the story of Jesus. And again, remember Dr. Luke's modus operandi, but also his purpose. He didn't know Jesus. He's a pagan Gentile who came to faith in Jesus Christ, probably through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's a physician. He's a doctor. He's a historian. And and he interviewed all the eyewitnesses and put this story together in what he calls an orderly account for the purpose, one purpose in mind, although the Holy Spirit obviously had more. But his main purpose was so that his good friend, Theophilus, would have certainty about his faith in Jesus Christ, about who Jesus really is. And so th- this, this chapter is just incredible. It's powerful. And so this one chapter is part of his orderly account. He's lining up story after story that should convince the hardest soil, the rockiest soil, the thorniest soil that Jesus is the Son of God. I was at a conference the last two days. A good buddy from Seattle area, pastor, teacher, um, and, and, and he was speaking mostly to pastors and leaders and teachers in, in, the, congreg- in the audience there, but also members of our church and, and other churches. And, and he just simply made the point that all pastors need to hear from time to time because it is discouraging, you know, is that people will come and hear the Word of God and hear you. And of course, you can take it personally, but the reality is some people will come and hear the Word of God and they will not come back. Do not allow your heart to be hard today. Don't let your heart be hard today. Hear this word from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit today because that's why he came. That's why he came. We even heard the demons last week declare, right? The son of the most high God. They knew who he was. So today we see Dr. Luke recording what is likely the most critical reason why the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, had to come. Today we see his power over the problem of sickness and death. This is incredibly good news because nobody has the power over any of the things we've already been looking at and certainly nobody has the power over this certain thing that's going to happen to all of us, this sickness we have, which is death. I love this passage because also I think what you're going to see is there's incredible contrasts of faith in it. There's really two main players in this story, right? And it's an amazing contrast in faith. And so I hope you'll see the wonderful way that the Holy Spirit has ordered this, even though we know that Luke is doing his orderly account. But it's his desire, of course, to convince Theophilus. But the Holy Spirit wants us to see these wonderful contrasts in faith between A, a very poor woman, a sick woman, and a rather wealthy and well-respected man. So your sermon title for today is The Problem of Sickness and Death Solved. (laughs) And I want to show it to you in three ways, three parts to this. Number one, a ruler's daughter. Number two, a daughter is raised. Number one, a ruler's daughter. I'll reread and put this 
first two verses on screen. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So it's been a pretty busy week for Jesus, right? For a couple of weeks, and, and it's clear that it's been very, very busy for Jesus. Uh, a few nights ago, exhausted, he gets into the boat, right? He calms the seas. He's pretty tired after a really busy day, feeding 5,000 people, etc. And he's pretty tired, and he, he does all that. And then as breaks, they arrive on the southeast shore of the lake in the land of the Gerasenes, and he's immediately uh, welcomed... <laughs> by a man who has a legion of demons, which is like 2,000 demons. And he's, you know, hi, welcome to the island, son of the most high God, right? And, and, and he, he deals with the problem of evil there, and he's pretty tired, and they get back in the boat, and they start up the coast, back up to Capernaum, up to the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, and then he arrives here on this day, and guess what he arrives to? Gets out of the boat, pretty tired, long week, thousands of people. The crowds are back. Crowds are back. They're going, yes, where, where, where's the next free meal? We, we've got all of our sick with us. We want some more healings. Oh, and we, we don't mind if you preach to us and, you know, those great words that you say, but we, we, we've, we've come and the crowds are there. They're all back. They're waiting for him. So like, let's see this. There's no rest for Jesus. Like ministry is 24-7, right? For Jesus. So however, the opening scene in the story is very interesting. We see a man whose name is Jairus. He falls at the feet of Jesus, and he begs him to come to his home. And why? Well, his only little girl, his only daughter, is 12 years of age, and he knows she's dying. He's pretty much got no hope at this point, it would appear. He knows she's dying. But what's most interesting about, about this man is that he, we we're told in these verses, is a ruler of the synagogue. What's, what's been the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees and the rulers of the synagogues for the last year, year and a half of his life? Hey, we love you. Come preach. You're awesome. You could be the Messiah. No, no. He'd actually preached in the synagogue not too long ago, right? And there was a man there possessed by a demon. Remember that story? And, and that did not go too well. I mean, first of all, they find out that a guy who's been coming to synagogue for a long time, who's Jewish and like one of them, has a demon. That was a bit of a surprise. But that Jesus would deal with that in their midst in the church gathering, that didn't go down really all that well. And so he's a man who is well known in the city. Um, he's a man who in the synagogue, his role would have been to choose whoever does the readings so whoever's going to do the preaching and teaching, he would be the one who would choose that person and ask them to do the readings for the day. He would also be the one who uh, maybe did some of the preaching and some of the prayers. So he's well-known in Capernaum. He's not only well-known, he's well-off. He's well-respected. He's considered a pillar of the community because he's a Jewish religious man. And so his reputation was probably pretty good. Life is pretty good for this man. You really can't get any better as a Jewish leader than to be, you know, like that role in the synagogue and then to have children, but something very unexpected happened to him, right? Life is going great. Everything's fine. And then my 12-year-old little girl is going to die, and he knows it. He knows 
she's going to die. And so here we have this man with all the power, respect, and wealth, and he is brought to his knees before Jesus. And why? Because he has an incredibly big need. Come on, dad, mom, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandparents, 12-year-old little girl, what would you do? So it's an interesting point here, for sure. It's interesting how this particular ruler responds. And I think it's interesting also that that's, that's just a, a sign of how desperate some of us can be, right? I remember at different times in my life as a Christian and as a leader in the church and churches that I've been in, people come to me and go, you know, like a, a friend of mine's got cancer or I do or this and they're dying and so forth. So, so what do you think if they do this? <laughs> in other words, they try this practice or go to this place to get this kind of magic healing done or, you know, and, and, and it's not a Christian-based thing. What, what, what do you think? Should we try it? W- would God be angry with us if we try it? Listen, I'll, I just want to be clear here. When people are dying, desperate. We need to probably understand that, but also as we see in the story here, there's only, one, there's only one source to go to if you're that desperate. But we should understand. So our story continues, and this is point number two. A daughter is born. And so the, the Holy Spirit orders this. He kinda, he, we're going to leave Jairus for a second. Well, actually not. He's there, right? But look what happens. Number two, a daughter is born. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by any one of them. So imagine at this point, okay, you're J. Iris, right? And, and you've, you've, you, you've really humbled yourself as a Jewish leader to fall down at the feet of this Rabbi Jesus guy, and, and, and he, he starts following you to your home, right? But the crowd is there, and they're pressing in and around him, right? And, and, and you see that, and so at first he's like, my only concern at this point in time is I just got to help Jesus meander through this crowd. I got to get him out of here quickly because my daughter is dying. I don't know how long she's going to live. I got to get him to the house. And so he's thinking this miracle worker has responded to my plea and he has hope. He's got some hope that she's going to be healed. Seems to have faith. We're not quite sure at this point, but that's his hope anyway because of his need. But then, but then he, he notices there's this commotion, right? A commotion takes place. And he doesn't see her, but this woman kind of stealthily meanders through the crowd, and she comes up, and she touches Jesus. Some people think it was the tassels of his, of his gown, his garment that he was wearing, or just his, his cloak. And she touches that, just that, not his body physically, but just that. She figures that's going to be good enough, right? And what we learn about her is interesting. She has, the translation that I'm using, the English Standard Version, a, a discharge of blood. And for how long? Twelve years. Coincidence? Twelve-year-old <laughs> girl, twelve years. There's a contrast, there's a parallel here. And it's not being made up. This is intentional. This is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of God to happen so that they would learn something, and hopefully us too. So literal Greek would be, I mean, discharge, it would be a hemorrhage, uh, a constant flow of blood. So we also learned that she had spent, look at this, all of her living, everything she had um, on, on physicians, but, but no one could heal her. 
And so we need to understand in that day, not all physicians were like the ones over at you know, Squamish you know, Hospital with white cloaks on, coats on and, and good educations and using the, the practices that we have today. Some of them were like, you know, I have newt people, right? And, and magicians. She too had tried everything. She tried everything. She spent everything she had on these healers and magicians. So once again, we just ask, does she, does she come to Jesus out of faith? What do you think? Is she coming to Jesus out of like faith that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Most High God? Is she coming for that reason? And that he will therefore heal her? Well, I'll tell you what, to begin with, not likely. I don't think so. And as we will see, she's tried everything else, and then there's this Jesus back in town. So then we read this. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, he stops. Who was it who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Gotta love Peter. I love Peter. I am Peter. Like, I would do that, right? Like, that's what he does, though. Okay, let's start before we look at her again some more. Let's start with Jairus again. Let's go back to him, right? Uh, like, can you imagine now what he's thinking at this point, right? Like, his daughter's dying. The time is of the essence. He doesn't know how she's doing at this point. And, and he's kind of like, well, thank you, Peter. <laughs> thank you for mentioning that. You know, like, thank you for, you know, like saying, like, Jesus, like, someone touched you? Like, look at the crowd. Like, what's the matter with you? It's interesting. I had this thought as I was preparing this, and I want to be careful how I say this, but for some of us Christians, when we have issues and problems in our life and healing and financial issues, emotional issues, whatever it might be, and it can go on for years and years and years, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything for us, and it seems to be taking a long time, and our faith is kind of waning, but then there's this person that he does something for, miraculously for, and we're kind of like, could that have entered Jairus' heart at that time? Could, could, Could he have? It's possible. So as we consider the woman again, what do we learn? Well, we learn that she had hid herself, right? That she did not want to be noticed. And do most of you, all of you know why she didn't want to be noticed? I mean, she's embarrassed, whoever. No, but it's actually more than that. Jewish woman has a discharge of blood. Um, Jewish rights and laws were such that for women who had their monthly visitor. Mm -hmm. They were unclean for seven days. And so they were not to be touched. That was my mother's term, by the way, for that. I just thought I'd put that in. I see a few of you smiling going, okay, menstrual time, okay? Um, Let's just be clear. I'm not embarrassed, okay? She was ceremonially unclean because her discharge of blood was constant. So it wasn't that. There was something else going on. We don't know what it was. But that's what it was. And so she had been, listen, she had not been touched, nor could she touch anyone for 12 years. If she was married 12 years previously, she was not anymore because her husband couldn't go near her or her children if she had children. But we don't know. She wouldn't be welcome in the synagogue either. 
So she couldn't be with family, with community, uh, worshiping her God. Total outcast. She spent all her money, everything she had, searching for an answer to her sickness. The good chances are that she was a woman of the streets, that she was poor and homeless. We don't know all those details, but, but this is the role. This is the person who's there. She's definitely destitute, and she's definitely unwanted, and she's definitely unloved, and she knows it. She knows it. So really what we have here are two startling contrasts of life, aren't they? And again, the Holy Spirit puts these stories together. Really did happen and it's for our, our, our purpose of learning and a lesson for us. One is rich, the other is poor. One is welcomed, the other is unwelcomed as an outsider. One has family and community, the other is all alone. The one similarity that makes these two completely equal, they are in desperate need. And they cannot help themselves. And neither can anyone else. I love the phrase, there's level ground at the cross, amen? That's what's happening here. There's level ground at the cross. So for the past 12 years, their lives couldn't possibly have been any different, right? The last 12 years, their lives would have been polar opposites of each other. And, and, but today, on this day, their lives would intersect thanks to one thing. The life-giving power of Jesus Christ. Nobody else. That's what this story is about. It's about that intersection. So it's completely understandable, listen, that she wanted to keep herself hidden, isn't it? Right? And, and, and this is so beautiful. This is the part that I, I find and I want you to see is so beautiful. Jesus knows, listen, he knows that she needs to reveal herself. He's not trying to embarrass her. He knows that she needs to reveal herself, and that is why he stops and acknowledges her touch when he says this, someone touched me, for I perceived the power had gone out from me. So let's be sure we see these words from Jesus for what they really are, okay? These aren't in the form of a question, are they? They're a statement of fact. Someone touched me, and the power to heal went out from me. Not, woo, you know. No, from me, this power went out to heal this woman. Jesus knew who she was. It wasn't a question. He knew exactly who she was, without doubt. But we, what he wanted for her, come on, this is beautiful. He wanted her to know who he was. He wants that for you and for me today. He wants us to have faith that he is who he claimed to be and who his word says he is. So, so now here's this woman. She's hiding, wanting to get away because she, she knows that if the crowd... Most of them were Jewish. If they find out that she's that woman, and Jairus probably would have known her because she would have been seeking healing, right, from even the rulers of the synagogue, and there was a process that the Jewish leaders could try to take her through that might create healing from God for her, right? And they would know who she was, and she would be exposed, and they would know that she didn't walk into the crowd yelling out the words, unclean, unclean, which she should have done. And so she was afraid of them. 
She was literally afraid of them. But this is so important. She also knows this. Listen, she's come to the point, I believe right at this point, where she knows Jesus knows who I am. He didn't see me, that I know, but he knows who I am. He knows who each one of us in this room is. And then we read proof of what I just said. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. I thought of this uh, in my own life. Maybe this doesn't apply to any of you, but have you ever been caught in a lie? (laughs) Ever been caught in a lie, right? Uh, um, Having done something and then a person especially if you're a little kid, it's your mother, right? A mother, your father, a friend, whatever. They, they catch you in this lie, right? And you're kind of like, no, no, no. And, but the, the question has to be, how did they know? Right? Mothers know, okay? Like just wives know, okay, guys? Just telling you, okay? Beware. Okay. But how does she know? So anyway, Jesus calls, challenges her to come forward and testify to what He has done for her. That's why he's doing this. He wants her to come forward and testify publicly that I was healed by this man completely. Those of you who know me, know what I've been through for 12 years, I'm completely healed. But here's the the, the most beautiful part about it is, is that this dear woman who has suffered like she has for 12 years, she now must go public and she does. Jesus calls challengers to come forward and testify to what he has done for her and she does. And in the presence of everyone there, including Jairus, who must be at this point steaming, right? He's like, oh good, she's healed. When she steps forward and he knows who she is, or was, because she tells him why, she touched Jesus, her unclean condition, and this is critical, that she was immediately healed. Listen, do you know what that does for her? That tells her who Jesus is, but you know what it also does? It tells everyone there she's no longer unclean. She's completely healed. It's been made public. And this is good for her, right? And then Jesus says these beautiful words to her when he says, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. A couple of really quick things on this, right? Jairus is steaming. His daughter is probably dead by now, right? But the lesson here is one of them anyway, is that Jesus always has time to stop. He has time to stop for you at any given time in your life, at any given moment, and he will. It's interesting also that this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus calls any woman daughter. uses that word. It's such an incredibly beautiful picture, isn't it, that he would do that. There's nothing so urgent for him. The way that Jesus treats her is so loving and compassionate. First, he wants her to come forward so she can testify her faith in him. And secondly, so that everyone would know that she is now totally clean. She's a daughter of the king, and she has been restored as a daughter of the community. It's a beautiful picture. There should have been a lot of celebrating going on, right? But Jairus is still there, right? This, by the way, is two pronunciations for him, Jairus and Jairus. I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth, not trying to confuse you. Um, but that's what it goes. So number three, let's go back to Jairus 
and number three, a daughter raised. So we just saw a daughter born, and now we're going to see a daughter raised. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking to her daughter, your faith has healed you, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is now dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I, I just can't imagine. Large crowd, woman healed. That's awesome. That's an incredibly awesome thing. And J- Jairus is standing there, and this news it hits that his daughter is now dead. He's the respected official who daughter, whose daughter is just 12 years old, and he has to wait while Jesus heals this unclean woman. And now this. He must be thinking, the delay that this woman just caused has cost my daughter her life. And and you're calling her your daughter? I can't imagine what was going through this man's mind at that time, right? Well, on hearing this, Jesus answers him, says right to Jairus, do not fear, look at this, only believe. This is so critical. And she will be well. So he's basically saying, Jairus, there's still hope. There's still hope, no matter what thoughts are racing through your mind. But, but now the question for you, Jairus, is will you have faith? Like this woman just had. For what I can do for her and for you. I love the Word of God. Most of you come to the Rock for some time, you, you kind of pick up on that, right? I, I love it because the answers are always there. Luke doesn't record this, but Matthew does. And at that moment, at that moment, Jairus says to Jesus from Matthew chapter 9, my daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. Is that faith? Jesus would have went anyway. But then we read, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father of the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. So Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus. And immediately, I like this, he takes control of the situation. It's kind of interesting. He says, okay, the rest of you stay outside. Peter, John, and James. This is one of the first times where we see he, he calls his inner circle of apostles, the ones that would be closest to him and would become some of the, the pillars of the early church. This is the first time he calls them to go in. And I love that because in the midst of teaching all these other things, Jesus is always on mission, right? And, and my mission is to make disciples who make disciples, So there's going to be a lesson here, boys. Come with me. And he also takes Jairus and his wife. So these are not surprises, but intentional events that take place so that he can show them and us who he is and so that they can grow in their faith and in their ministry. And they're going to remember this story. Don't you think? Are you going to remember this story? I hope so. I hope so, because sickness and death are coming. And our hope is right here in this story. So the family that is gathered are all mourning, right? I won't get into the long depiction about what a a Jewish funeral was like, but there was a lot of weeping and wailing, right? A lot of noise going on. But one of the pictures that we see here is it seems very disrespectful, right? He, He says she's not dead, she's just sleeping, and they laugh at him. 
Again, this is in the Christian scriptures that you find this. You won't find this too much in other sacred writings about other great gods and great prophets and all the rest of it. But, you know, this is there for a specific reason. It's there to, to show us that these people knew she was dead. She stopped breathing hours ago. She stopped moving hours ago. Her body was cold now. And so we're like, look, it's nice of you to say that. We appreciate that. Go in and give her some rights, you know, last rights and all the rest of it. But, but buddy, she's dead. This is the Holy Spirit making sure that we understand that that's true. But Jesus is speaking, of course, about the difference between physical death and spiritual death, right? That's what he's getting at here. And in the case of the latter, she's just sleeping And that is made very clear by what he does and what we see happen next. It's remarkable. Our last two verses, our three for today, says this. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And then Jesus said, you know what? She's hungry. Get her something to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So I want you to look very closely at these words because it's a really powerful lesson. It's very important for us to take this away today. Uh, A few weeks ago in this very series, I titled one of our messages, Proof of Life After Death. Remember that one? The, the, The scripture gives us proof of life after death. Not just Jesus resurrected from the dead, but other proofs of life after death. And here it is again. Now think about it this way. Who speaks to a dead person? Nobody doesn't make any sense to speak to a dead person. Someone you know is dead. It would make absolutely no sense. Especially speak to someone and expect them to hear you if you believe there is no such thing as life after death. Why would you speak to that person? Why would you call out to them? So the answer is obvious, isn't it? Jesus is leaning over her body, and he expects her to hear him. He speaks to her, right? He says, child, arise. And then you you see what happens in the text. The child is, is not in the body. She hears him. And her spirit comes back into her body, and she gets up ready for a dinner that Jesus tells her parents to make for her. Her parents are amazed. Would you not be amazed if you saw that happen? You just heard it happen. It's true. So we should be amazed. But but why does Jesus charge them, you think, at this point, not to tell anyone after making the woman reveal herself and tell the whole crowd? Well, as we've seen for some time now, Jesus really actually is not into crowds. He loves everyone. He died for everyone. We all know that. But he's not into crowds who just want the miracle, but not the miracle worker. He, 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 he's already told this woman who was healed of the discharge of blood, you know, to, to go in front of all these people. So everybody knows about that, right? He told the demoniac to stay in the land of the Gerasenes and and go back to his people and proclaim what Jesus, what God has done for him. In this case, he says no more. Don't do that. And the word's going to get out, right, about his daughter, but he tells them not to do that. And it would be most likely the case that Jesus is basically 
He knows that it's still some time before he goes to the cross, and he, he has some more teaching to get out about trusting and believing in him and not the miracles. Those aren't the big deal. So listen, I think the question for us is this. I want to actually put it to you this way before I ask the question. You do realize that everyone in this story, the woman that was healed of the discharge, the child that was raised from the dead, her mom, her dad, all of the people present are still going to die, right? One day. They did eventually all die one day. So the question then for us today is this. It's a very important question. I'm going to ask it of every single person in this room and anyone who's watching. Have you been resuscitated from the dead yet? At this point in your life? Have you been resuscitated from the dead spiritually? Because if the Holy Spirit of God, if Jesus Christ is not resident in you, then that's your state today. Meaning, have you been born again? That's where that whole phrase comes from. That whole understanding comes from you need to be born again. Spiritually, alive. And then become weird like the rest of us Christians. Because that's what happens when you know that you're spiritually alive and you have the Holy Spirit and you then have the faith to understand it because He gives it to you in faith and by faith. So friends, this story is pointing to that first resurrection from the spiritually dead position that all of us have been in before you do one day physically and finally die. In John's gospel, it's interesting. We read another story of a ruler who came to Jesus. Remember him? His name was Nicodemus, right? It's a great story. We don't have time to go into all of it. He was a Pharisee, a ruler of the synagogue. He comes to Jesus by night, we are told, so he comes to him privately because he's got a really important question that he wants to ask Jesus. He's been listening to all his teachings. He's probably heard about this story, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, right, we know, so he's very respectful, but he's, this is just between him and Jesus, that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Does he have faith? He knows. This is head knowledge. This doesn't mean that he has faith yet. But he's asking a really good question. And Jesus answers him with these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he, she cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nick, he, uh, he's like, okay, wait a second. So I need to be born again. Are you suggesting to me, a 50, 60-year-old Pharisee man, that I need to go somehow back into my mummy's womb and be born again? Like He actually asks Jesus that, right? So it's pretty silly, but Jesus' answer is very clear. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh of a man and a woman is still flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is now Spirit. So friends, let me leave you with this before we pray and go to communion. If you hope one day to be resurrected from the dead when you die and live for eternity with your God and Savior 
the Lord Jesus Christ, you must have saving faith in Him before you physically die. That has to happen for you. It has to happen for all of us. And so the question today that I want to ask you is this. Have you been healed? Have you believed as your personal Savior and Lord? This, by the way, is His Word for you and for me today. And I want to encourage you then, hear Him, believe Him, trust Him. He is so trustworthy. He is so good. And then you know what? Go live for Him. He will change your life. He will transform you. He will give you the life that you've always wanted with the assurance that one day when you die, all will be good forever. Pray with me, would you?